Mark chapter 6 this morning, Mark's gospel chapter 6 and verse 6, we read there, and he, Jesus, was amazed at their unbelief. The first five verses prior to this of Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in Nazareth. He's just preached in the synagogue and people are questioning his authenticity. They're saying he's just a carpenter's son. They're saying we know his brothers. We see them down the local shops. We know his sisters. They live here in town. Who does he think he is that he would teach us with such authoritative presentation? And Jesus at that point was unable to do any great miracle in the town of Nazareth. And we read the reason he could do no great miracle was because of their unbelief. And he was amazed at their unbelief. We can actually hamstring the creator of the universe simply with our unbelief. We can block him from doing what he desires to do, what he wants to do, what is good for us in our life, simply because of our unbelief. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. So he left Nazareth because he could do no great miracle and went from village to village teaching the people. Then he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. I want to give you one more scripture just before I start to share with you this morning from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete, fully made whole through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and every authority. Still on the same theme this morning of dealing with a wounded spirit, let me say from the very outset of my message today that everything we need, everything we need to be completely healed and brought to a place of complete wholeness in life, everything we need physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, everything we need is found in a real and living connection with Jesus. You will find, as the Bible says, that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. In him lies all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as Prue said so well this morning and so powerfully this morning, he lives in us. So if he lives in us and in him lives all the fullness of the Godhead and in him lies all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge, then all of that lives in us in him. So we have everything we need in life 
to be complete, to be healed, to be restored, to be made a much bigger and a much better person in life, to be put on a pathway of of fullness and fruitfulness and abundance. Everything we need does not lie in attendance to church every Sunday. Everything we need does not lie in simply reading your Bible. I believe in both of those things wholeheartedly. I think church attendance is a biblical thing. Church connection is a biblical thing. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. I believe that we are called to be accountable to one another, submitted to one another, supportive of one another. But if that's all we've got, and we don't have a real living day-by-day relationship with Jesus, whereby we are following Him and hearing His voice as His sheep, then we are lacking everything we need to actually live a life of completeness and wholeness. Everything we need lies in a living connection with Him. I remember hearing a very insightful song soon after I was introduced to Jesus, and it was sung at a wedding. And the lyrics go like this, I could wish you joy and peace to last the whole life long. I could wish you sunshine or a cheerful little song. Or I could wish you all the happiness that this life could bring. But I wish you Jesus more than anything. I could wish you leaves of gold and may your path be smooth. I could wish you treasures or that all your dreams come true. And I could wish you paradise that every day be spring, but I wish you Jesus, because when I wish you Jesus, I've wished you everything. I loved that song when I first heard it. And I thought, if all that's left in my life is me and God, I've got everything I need. I've got every answer to every conceivable problem that I will ever face, every mountain that ever confronts me. I, I have all the resource, all the, the, the backing of heaven with me to get me where he wants me to go and to lift me to that place of life and life in abundance. In him, I have everything. You know, apart from my surrendered heart, and I emphasize this because our unbelief can hamstring God. If my heart is not surrendered, I can go to church week in and week out, but if I live with rebellion in my heart, if I live with a sense of doing life the way I want to do it, but if I go to church regularly, then God will be happy with me. And if anything were to happen to me, I know I'm going to be okay. And I love what Arden used to say, and I've used this at funerals myself. People think, well, I've got my name on a church roll somewhere. When I get to heaven, they'll have that recorded. You know, having your name on a church roll is useless. So you might as well have it on a sausage roll. It doesn't make a scrap of difference if we haven't got Jesus on the throne of our life. So apart from my surrendered life, Jesus doesn't need any other raw material in order to do something spectacular in my life. He can make something from nothing. He created the heavens and the earth. He he hung the galaxies in place. He created the Milky Way, which is just one galaxy of who knows how many, just by the spoken word. He didn't start with raw material. He started with nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were without form. They were empty. They were dark. There was was nothing uh, attractive about it. He created his own raw material. And then out of that raw material, by the power of the spoken word, he said, let there be. 
And you read Genesis chapter 1, every single phrase, and God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And he created, the, he put the Orion in place, the Pleiades, all of the, the universe that is so grandeur. It's just an amazing thing. He did all that by the spoken word. He doesn't need much in order to do much. Apart from my surrendered heart, he doesn't need any raw material to do something spectacular in my life. By the word of his mouth, he calmed the raging sea. And the disciples were so taken by it. They said, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? He's the one who created the heavens and the earth from the beginning. Jesus is the one who put it all together. He was the same God who walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he stood and, and spoke the word and things happened. Things were created. Spectacular things came into being. And now he's sitting in a boat with them. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things came into being by him. Nothing that's been created was not created apart from him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking about Jesus. So here's the creator of heaven and earth sitting in the boat with the disciples. And they're, they're terrified. They're afraid. And he says, calm, peace, be still. And the storm obeyed him. God does not need much in order to do. If you've got a broken heart today, he can put it back together. If you've got a wounded spirit today, he can bring a healing touch like nobody else or nothing else on this planet can do. He is an amazing God. He sustains, according to Hebrews chapter 1, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He fed three million Israelis with bread from heaven for 40 years. With bread from heaven. He doesn't need much in order to do much. You can think I'm at the end of my rope. You can think I've got nothing left. You can think I've got nowhere else to go. But if it's just you and him, that's all you need because he doesn't need much in order to do much. When I, I started my trade as a boilermaker back in 1977, and uh, I remember it was a very strong union industry that I worked in. And I remember reading some graffiti on the shed wall uh, near where I was working at the time and someone had written this very clever little ditty that, that said, We the willing, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. A very union strong, talking about the bosses really. We have done so much for so long with so little. We are now qualified to do anything with nothing. And I thought, how clever is that? We are now qualified to do anything with nothing. It wasn't that long after that that I was introduced to Jesus and discovered that he actually is capable of doing anything with nothing. He doesn't need much in order to do much. He can breathe on me and it'll change me in a heartbeat. All I need is a touch from heaven. That's all I need to be healed. That's all I need to be restored. That's all I need to change my way of thinking. It's, it's, it's a touch from heaven. He doesn't need much. He's capable of doing anything with nothing. Anything with nothing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, Christ Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God. If you've met Jesus, you want to know what God's like, just read the Gospels. How Jesus treated people is how God treats people because he is God. 
He's part of the triune God. He's God the Son. You know, each is God, yet God is one. And the Word was in the beginning. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word is God. And it's like, it's such contradictory language, but it's trying to convey an eternal principle that Jesus is as much God as the Father and the Holy Spirit. Each is God, yet God is one. Yet God is made up of three personalities. And it's just an amazing revelation about who God is. And it tells us very clearly here, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So God who created the heavens and the earth, if we let him into our life, if we let him into our hearts, you know, and I, you might think, oh, is there unsaved people here today that need to hear this? No, Christians need to hear this because so often we do life according to our own ways, according to our own thinking, according to our own plans and strategies. And then we, you know, I, I believe there's a lot of people in church today who wonder whether there really is a God and just going to church is like an insurance policy. Well, if there is, I'll be safe. There is so much unbelief in the house of God today, trusting what God is capable of doing. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he, Jesus, holds everything together. He can pull my life together in an instant, but he needs a surrendered heart. That's the only raw material that will make this happen for us. When Jesus is given ultimate rule and authority over my life, anything can happen. I want him in my life. I want him walking through the storms with me. I want him engaging the challenges with me. I want him with me when my enemy tries to destroy me. I want him with me because when he's with me, I will get through whatever it is I'm facing. You know, Job, when he's had his worst moment and he is, he is really complaining now about his lot in life, God breaks in. Finally, after all the moaning and the whinging and the humanistic philosophy, let me just go back to that opening verse, Colossians. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. That's what Job's friends were doing. They were bringing high sounding philosophies and nonsense that come from human thinking. And they were thinking they were godly in their counsel. And, uh, you know, and he's just comes to a point where he's just beside himself. Finally, God opens his mouth and speaks. And in Job 38, he says, Job, can you direct the movement of the stars? I can. I can do anything. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades <clears throat> or loosen the cords of Orion? They're the galaxies. They're the clusters of stars. They're the amazing things that you look out and think, God, with a simple word of your mouth, you created that. What can you do in my life? You know, nothing is impossible for him who believes, for him who trusts. Can you direct the constellations, Job, through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? That must be another cluster of stars. You know, you see stars that are shaped like animals and the bear with her cubs is another cluster of stars. Can you guide them across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? What well, God is saying, Job, can you do those things? Because I can. I can do all of those things. And Job, just he's gobsmacked. He says, God, I don't want to say another word. 
I don't want to say another word. Yet let, let me tell you, if Jesus is given ultimate rule and reign over my life, I will lack for nothing in my life. I will live in a place of abundance. I will live in a place experiencing the provision of God for everything I need, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Now, I've come to know, I'm now turning 59 in just uh, about three months' time. And I've been walking with Jesus now for 40 years. And I have learned that Jesus doesn't always give us what we want, but He always gives us what we need. And I've learned that hindsight is a great teacher, where I look back and think, that's what I wanted. That's what I got. If I'd got that, it wouldn't have worked but I got that. It was painful here, painful here. But without that, I would never have got to where I am and be still standing. I've learned God is wiser than I am. And God knows what I need. He knows when I need it. And I think let's shake off that mindset that says, well, I'll come to Jesus. And if he gives me this, this and this, then I'll stay. Because this is what I need. No, that's what you think you need. But see, he's God. All the treasure of wisdom and knowledge lie with Him. I have faced so many disappointments in my life, but in hindsight, I can see they were only disappointments because I didn't get what I wanted. If we'd only come to a place of trusting God, He's got a better picture and a bigger thing in mind. And I could tell you so many stories of things that I wanted that I never got that I look back now and I think, thank you, God, that you did not answer my prayer. Because He's wiser and bigger. Then I am. He, he, if my soul is wounded, I have everything needed to bring it back to wholeness in Jesus. Just in the time I've got left, I want to take you through a couple of little stories. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, he was going to be affected by this drought himself because he was on the planet as well. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kerith brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. You think about this for a moment. You see, God, when there's no food, God can even tell the ravens to bring what you need when you need it. And I look at that and I think he's, he's actually encountering the God who doesn't need any raw material other than a surrendered heart to produce something spectacular in my life. Elijah, I want you to go and drink from the brook. And the ravens, I've already commanded them because I control the universe. I uphold all things by the word of my power. I've commanded the ravens to bring you food to eat. Now, I don't know that I'd have been that excited eating whatever the ravens brought to me that day. I wouldn't have known where it came from. Now, I've heard Pastor John preach on this and he reckons the ravens would have taken the choice food from the king's palace. And maybe there's truth in that. But we don't really know, Pastor John. It might have been roadkill from a chariot race. And who knows how long the roadkill had been there. But God knew. And God knew that whatever the ravens brought would be enough to sustain him. It, it was a miraculous thing. I have commanded them. So Elijah did, as the Lord told him, and camped beside Kerith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. He was, he was in a refuge. 
He was, he was in a bubble of God's provision and God's protection. And, and, you know, there's probably a time where he sat and thought, well, gee, I hope the ravens come. This is a big thing to believe for, but God said it, so I'm just going to trust God. And sure enough, the ravens come and they drop off a half-eaten half happy meal and, you know, a burger that's been sitting in the sun for a while. But, but he provided for him. We've got a little dove at the moment who's taken refuge in our, our little entertainment area at our house. We don't have a much of a backyard. And I don't know what's wrong with the dove. It doesn't seem to have a problem with its wing. Um, but it, you go up near it, it won't fly away. It gets a little bit timid, but it's a bit sluggish. So I broke up some crackers and put it down, a little bowl of water. This morning he's still there and he waddled out around our entertainment area and he's just sitting there in the sun. And, and you know, I, whether he comes good, I don't know, but he might come good and fly off. But he's taken refuge in a place that's safe. When you, you get into Jesus... And you surrender your life to him. You're taking refuge in a place where you have everything you need, where you're protected, where you're provided for, where you are nurtured. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped at the brook. The ravens brought bread and meat each morning and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So what will I do now? When you're with Jesus, he doesn't need much in order to do much. When you're with Jesus, he provides everything we need according to his riches in glory. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, all we have to do is trust him. A couple of verses later in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now she had been instructed by God to provide for Elijah, but she didn't know yet that she'd been instructed by God to do that. Go figure. But God is saying, I have told the widow there. Maybe she was praying. Maybe, maybe she had heard the word. Maybe she was struggling with it. Maybe she thought, I don't know if this is God's voice or not. I haven't got much myself. How can I provide for this man of God? And yet God is prompting him. And God just said, I've already told her she's to provide for you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. I can imagine Elijah saying, Lord, you said you told this lady. You, you, you forewarned her. You told me. How embarrassing. This lady, she's about to cook their last meal and she says they're going to die. You told me, if I'd known that she wasn't aware that you told her, that you told me that you told her, how, this is, what if 60 minutes gets a hold of this? Can you imagine the man of God exploits young widow who's about to die with her son? You, you know, it's like, but God is with him and God is providing for him. And so, you know, you're using this poor widow to give me her last bit so I survive and she's going to die. No, watch what happens next. He says, bring me a little bit, just gathering a few sticks, then I'm going to die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Well, it's not very Christian, is it? <laughs> then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. 
There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops to grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and enough olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Why? Because he doesn't need much to make much. He can bring something out of nothing. When you're at the end of your tether and you think, I'm so deeply wounded, I am never going to get healed. Like I'm so hurt by what life and those around me have done to me. I'm so deeply crushed by the, the, the stuff that has not gone right in my life. If you open your heart and let Jesus in, He doesn't need much to do something spectacular in my life. All He needs is a surrendered heart. If we would just as Christians change the way we think and begin to see God as the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the earth and the fullness thereof, if we would just begin to change the way we think and we would think like He thinks and we would see like He sees, then we wouldn't ever be afraid when we lack something. It's an opportunity for God to come through and do something with our belief rather than working against our unbelief. Is this okay? Let's jump over to 2 Kings chapter 4. Now it's Elisha, the protege of Elijah. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. There's the unbelief. There's a, I've got nothing but a little jar of oil. God doesn't need much in order to do much. We've got to start to trust him. Just a little bit of oil in the house. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbours, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Get a whole stack. Get as many as you can. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons. She brought the vessels, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. I think if she had more vessels, it would have kept flowing. Don't ever underestimate God. He doesn't need much in order to make much. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and your sons live on the rest. It's like God is an amazing God. Luke, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 24, look at the ravens. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in bars. They feed Elijah when he's hungry. For God feeds them and you are more valuable to him than any bird. You are more valuable to him than any bird. He knows what you need even before you ask for it. He knows deep down your pain. He knows deep down your struggle. He knows the storms you've faced. He knows the pain you've experienced. He knows what has been inflicted upon you. He doesn't need much in order to do much. All he needs is a surrendered heart. Let's look again at the opening verse as I start to land this. And he called his 12 disciples together, began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. When you read the context of Mark 6, 7 and 8, he is trying to teach his disciples that when you're walking with him, you'll lack nothing. 
When you're walking with him, when you think you've got nothing, you've got him. And in him, in him lies everything that you need. Luke chapter 22, Jesus said, When I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveller's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? He was teaching them. You just do what I tell you to do. I will give you what you need when you need it. Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. You say, but I still haven't got that. I still haven't got that. Yeah, but the Lord is your shepherd. You've got it. You've got it in Him. And He knows what you need when you need it more than you do. It will come through. Psalm 23 verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy, when the Lord is my shepherd, shall follow me all the days of my life. You don't have to go chasing after your needs. You don't have to go looking to fulfil your needs. You don't have to plan and strategize and try and make everything come together and say, well, God, when I've got it all together, then I'll, I'll be able to serve you more effectively. No, when the Lord is your shepherd, those things will follow you all the days of your life. If you follow Him, they'll follow you. I believe we're coming into a day and in our nation's history, in the history of our world, where our faith is going to be tested more than ever. Do we really believe God? Do we really trust God? Do we really Hang on to him. I love the account of Mark 6 to 8. I believe it's Jesus helping his disciples to do what Paul later would teach the church to do, renew their mind, change the way they think. Jesus wanted them to get a very clear revelation of who he really is and the power that he carries. When you walk with me, boys, you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. Psalm 34 verse 10, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no what? Come on, it's on the screen. It's up there. For, it is on the screen. Yeah. Those who trust in the Lord will lack what? No good thing in their life. Even when it looks like you lack, you don't because you've got Him. Chapter 6, He feeds 5,000 people. He feels sorry for the crowd. He says to His disciples, I can't send these people home hungry. And, and the disciples said, well, how are we going to feed them? He said, it would take a year or two's worth of hard work to earn enough wages to buy enough to feed. There are thousands here, 5,000 in total. And he looks at him and he says, you feed them. With what? That's what they said. You read. With what? He's teaching them. When you're with me, boys, you lack nothing. When you're with me, I don't need much in order to do much. I don't need any raw material in order to create something spectacular in your life. He said, you feed them. They said, we haven't got anything. What have you got? What, what is in your house? What is in your hand? And they said, well, we've got a, there's a few loaves and a few fish. Bring them here. And he lifts them to heaven and he blesses them. He speaks blessing, but he lifts them to heaven to his father and he speaks blessing. And then he begins to hand it. And you know the story. He feeds 5,000 people and 12 baskets are collected afterwards. Why 12 baskets? Probably for each of the disciples to take one home each for their family. He doesn't need much in order to make much. Then he walks on water before the end of chapter 6. He walks on water. He goes away to pray. He tells the disciples, get in the boat and head off to the other side. They hit a storm. They're afraid. They think they're going to drown. They think their little dinghy's going to sink. And Jesus comes walking on the water. They flip out thinking it's a ghost. But then he says, it's okay. It's just me. He gets in the boat and he calms the storm. And they said, what is going on here? And then this little phrase at the end of Mark chapter 6, they still did not understand the significance of the miracle 
of the feeding of the 5,000. Their mind was still not renewed. They had no idea that it was the creator of the universe who was walking and got in their boat, who was sitting in their boat, who, who spoke the word and the storm calmed, who just lifted the bread to heaven, blessed it, broke it, and it just never ran out like the oil in the widow's house. But then, then we go through chapter 7 and he continues on healing and restoring sick bodies and sick hearts and sick minds, continuing to amaze the disciples throughout chapter 6 and 7. They're seeing all this amazing stuff, but they still weren't getting it. Because then in chapter 8, there's 4,000 hungry people. 1,000 less than the first time. Not, not 40,000. Not like, well, I hope he fed five, but I don't think he can handle 40. No, there was five in chapter six. Now there's only four. And he says, we can't send these people home hungry. You know what the disciples said? You read it for yourself. Mark chapter eight, only two chapters later. It's the same gospel. It's not another context. It's the same gospel. It's the same teaching lesson. Two chapters later, they said, what are we going to feed them with? Are you kidding me? Surely one of the 12 would have said, hey guys, hang on a minute. Remember the 5,000 people? Hey, this is a test. We can't fail this one. Remember what happened? Just a little, remember the, the coming of the storm? You, we know who this guy is now. We've got a revelation of it. But no, they're all going, oh, how are we going to feed him? You know, how are we, where are we going to get enough? And then he just, he just does it again. The disciples say, we are worms. You know, my other opening verse, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Are we surrendered to him? Because we have everything we need. We have everything we need. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When I'm with him, I lack nothing. I have a need in my soul. It's bleeding. It's in pain. It's wounded. I can't get over it. Run to him. Run to him. He's the balm of Gilead. It soothes and heals every, every brokenness, every pain, every infliction, every fatal wound. He can stop the fatality from being final. He can, he can restore anything. He can put anything back together. If I, as a pastor, disciple you to myself, I've failed. But if I can get you connected to Jesus, I believe I've done everything that is required of me. I'm not the answer to your problem. He is. I'm not the solution. I can guide you, I can help you, I can support you, I can encourage you, I can pray with you. But if you're leaning on me and you're not learning to lean on Jesus, eventually I'm going to collapse. And eventually you'll be left alone once again, having to start from the beginning to find someone else that you can lean on. Lean on him when you're not strong. Lean on him when you're in pain. Lean on him. He doesn't need anything but my surrendered heart, my willingness to do whatever he tells me to do in order to do something spectacular in my life. That's all he needs. 
That's all he needs. Father, I pray today for those that are wounded, those that are hurting, those that are lonely, those that are broken, those that are struggling. I pray, Lord, that everyone will go from here in search of the great shepherd. Lord, we need each other. It's a biblical principle. We're called to support each other, encourage each other, spur one another on towards love and good deeds and to to support and prop up one another when we're struggling. But if it's done outside of a relationship with you, it's short-lived. I pray, Lord, that every single one of us will learn to walk with you, the one who holds in the palm of his hand all creation and sustains it in Jesus' name.